Let's ask in this moment, Jesus, for a deep spirit of recollection, a deep quiet within us to really listen, because the pain within us can really make a lot of noise, and then we can't hear Jesus who says, I am with you. Not just that I want to be walking with you, but that I am with you. We need to be silent. It's a very noisy world, and it's very hard to hear Jesus, and we need to help one another be able to hear him by the way we live our life, because we can be quiet on the outside and be very noisy within. I don't mean distractions. Everybody has distractions, but a noisiness that isn't kind of held in check. It's not under the control of the peace of Christ, under his healing authority. So we have to really surrender that to the master and listen to his voice. A few days ago, we were hearing how Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the father draws him. So it's really us as children, if we're not coming to Jesus, it's because on some level, we're not listening to our father. Because he said, if you come to me, it's because the father is drawing you. You're hearing him those who listen to him and learn from him, those are the ones who come to me. Because we're as children, we have to have a dad. And so we need to listen to our father. Jesus said something along those lines. I didn't say it verbatim, but he did say, those who come to him, they're drawn by the father. And so our Father is speaking again here, as he always is, because Jesus is his word, and he's speaking in this gospel passage that's shared with us from the sixth chapter of John, the Bread of Life discourse. Now remember, before Jesus gives this Bread of Life discourse, they have seen miracles. They've seen paralyzed people healed. They've seen miracles. They've seen healings. But right before this, they've seen 5,000 people fed miraculously. So Jesus is preparing a hurting people, a people who have doubts, a people who may, some may not believe in God, wounds, uh, a lot of noise around them and within them, and he's preparing them with healings and signs and wonders to get their attention. Because of what happens, right? Sometimes it says, he, well, it says here, even with St. Peter, there's a healing, a para paralyzed person is healed, a woman is brought back to life, and then people are turning to the Lord because of it. There's a grace that's happening in that moment to wake people up to a deeper reality. God exists. God is already with us. God loves us, clearly, because he's healing us, and God wants to do it because he's doing it. Wow. It's helping people. They're being catechized as they're watching the works of God, even through ordinary people, like a fisherman, St. Peter. So God is really among us, Emmanuel. God is with us. Now, people at Jesus' time had difficulty believing that this 30, 31, 32, 33-year-old man from Nazareth is actually God. And in that sense, there's a stumbling block for people. There, Jesus, isn't the, Jesus in himself isn't a stumbling block in the sense that he, he wants them to not stumble. He wants them to come to him freely and well, standing on their own two feet in freedom, 
but there is a reality that the human person in his, his or her freedom can say no to the will of God and stumble on the journey that's meant to get back to heaven, eternity, in paradise with God, what we're made for. And so the people at Jesus's time, okay, they don't have the luxury of what we have. They can see the humanity of Jesus the way I can see you and you can see me if we have our physical sight, right? You can see that I have hands, I have feet, I have a mouth, I have eyes, I look like you. We're the same, we're human. So they had that luxury, so to speak, to see. And as St. John says, that what we saw and heard and touched, they ate with him. Okay, but they had to have a faith to believe that this person is God. That's not easy. That's very difficult. It could be like you. I don't know how old you are, but if let's say you're around, I don't know, maybe you're 20, 30, I don't know, but you walk in and you, and you say, I am. I'm gonna say, no, you're not. My humanity is gonna say, no way. I've never heard of this. How can I believe this? This is nuts. I'm not gonna put my trust in you. You're from the town over there. I know your mom and dad. I know your job description. You look just like me. You go to the bathroom just like me. Seriously, this is the real deal. You're just like me. How can I put my faith in you? And then signs and wonders happen and eyes begin to open and ears begin to listen because he's doing things that other people don't do. And he's like walking on water. Who does this? And he's calming storms. Only God can do that in scripture, calm the weather. And in an instant, what is going on? So people start to listen. But even after this 5,000 people fed miracle, when Jesus teaches about the Eucharist, many of his disciples leave and he lets them leave. I'm sure his heart was broken and hurting, but he let them leave because they're free. He can't force. But look at the reality here. At this moment, we could see Jesus as bringing the sword of division. Not that he wants people to be divided from God, but he does say that you're free and that the truth as it's given to you in love, if you say no to it, you're gonna divide from the life of God. That's a reality. But it's also gonna help you because now you know the truth. You're making a, a, an informed decision, not a blind decision to what you're actually deciding upon. That division is meant, it's meant to help you to start thinking about your life in reality the way God wants you to see it, not the way you thought life was but the way life is, and now you must decide. And here comes the sword that's gonna start helping to divide you from what holds you back from God. And if you decide to move away from God, that's your decision, but that seed has been given to you and it's gonna remain. At least you're gonna remember what I said. That's the hope. 
and you might turn back at the end of your life at least. That moment that caused a division for you because you decided to walk away still, in a holy sense, haunted you. It kept coming after you and beckoning you in love and mercy to come back to reality, to wake up to what is true and real, eternal life, which you're created for. So then we have now the Eucharist. And I was reading a snippet today from Bishop Barron, who gives each day a little bit of a, his own commentary slash homily or commentary on the gospel of the day. And I subscribe to that by email. And usually he has a pretty good nugget. And he said, you know, he said something like, well, Jesus was, there's a division that takes place. And you know what? As I was reading, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, there it is. The reason there is uh, at times division and not a communion over the Eucharist is because it is Jesus. It's not just a catechesis type of thing. Some people may not be coming to him because they don't know it's him. Some people may not be coming to him because they haven't been taught correctly who it is. But if they have been taught correctly and they have been given the gospel authentically and they're dividing and they're walking away, it's because it is Jesus. This is the real deal. It's the same Jesus of Nazareth. It's the same Jesus in this bread of life discourse. It's the same Jesus who fed the 5,000 right before he gives this discourse. That's what's going on. They're encountering the reality of who the Father has spoken. It's his son. And they can either say yes or they can say no. If they have been evangelized and the truth has really been proclaimed to them, the gospel has been brought to their doorstep and they say no, then the dust is shaken off of our feet and we need to go to other towns and pray for them because the gospel has really been proclaimed. We did our part. It doesn't mean give up on them. It means you have done your part. You have truly poured out and given the seeds and tried to water those seeds. But only God causes the growth. I've done my job. I have presented as best as I could and with him, Jesus of Nazareth. I have said that the Eucharist is Jesus. This is not a joke. This is not mere symbol. He said, this is my body. I'm going to take him at his words. He said, this is my blood. That is the word of God. And when they question him about it in this chapter, he goes over and beyond of speaking about the way you would eat meat off of a bone. That's how you are to eat my flesh. He's saying, this is the real deal. It's not a symbol. The way an animal would eat meat off of a bone, I want you to understand I'm saying that it is my flesh. And people walk away. 
many of them. A miracle will not save us. Nowhere in Scripture does Jesus say, your miracle has saved you. You could see a billion miracles, and if you don't want God to the end of your life, you're going to go to hell. A miracle will not save you. What does Jesus say in the gospel? Your faith has saved you. Your belief that I am the son of the living God, your belief that I am the savior of the world, your belief that you are nothing and that you have sin, your belief, your entrustment to my merciful love is what is saving you. Your faith has saved you. The miracle of your foot being healed, that did not save you for eternity. You're a free person. Your foot cannot say, yes, Lord. You as a person, Joe or Sammy or Michelle, you have the power and capacity to say, yes, Lord, or no, Lord. Not your foot, not your eye, not your hand, not even your physical heart that pumps blood. It's you, the person. In the Bible, in Scripture, heart, biblically speaking, is the center of the human person. It's the person who can know rationally, unlike a dog or a giraffe, as beautiful as they are, and can freely respond with a will, a free will, to having known that they are loved, having come to understand it, and then can respond freely in belief of receiving it and giving it back. A dog and a giraffe cannot do that. They cannot. They are not rational. They're not the image and likeness of God. We only have one life. If we're not even getting to Mass on a regular basis on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation, and we're missing it without a serious reason, and we're Catholic, and Mass is provided, we're in big trouble. We're in big trouble because we are saved by Jesus' sacrifice. And what's presented, represented on the altar, is Jesus' sacrifice. It's not just any church service. We come here to worship and to receive and have applied to us salvation. And confession, it's really Jesus of Nazareth in the confessional. This is not a joke. It's not just you and it's not just the priest. Jesus of Nazareth is in the confessional. And he asks you to have faith in that reality. People walked away from God on this day in the gospel. They didn't just walk away from a teaching. They walked away from God. This is a, not a joke. We can walk away from God. And what a great deception that is. So if we have grave sin, as I preached two or three days ago, grave sin is not just, I think I might be in grave sin or I'm worried I'm in grave sin, or maybe I am, I don't know. Look, 
to be out of God's sanctifying grace, to actually have died spiritually, what you did had to be grave, the sin. So what you did had to be grave. We call it the matter, okay? There's three conditions to actually be outside of God's life and to be dead spiritually, right? After we're baptized, we need baptism, okay? We need to be brought back to life, but here we go. One, the matter of it, what you did, what I did, had to be grave. Otherwise, you're not in grave sin, right? You have to do something grave. Then two and three, at the time you committed the sin, you had to have full knowledge. You had to know that it was grave, full knowledge. If you didn't know, you still committed something grave. You still have a big wound in your soul. You may still have deeply hurt gravely somebody else, which is what we do when we sin, if it's grave especially, right? But if you didn't fully know, you didn't die spiritually, you didn't know. But we do need to tell people. It's not okay to just leave somebody when they need to know that there's sin. We gotta tell them at the right time. So two and three, you had to fully know it, but then you had to fully, with full freedom, choose it. You weren't forced, you weren't under torture, because there are things that diminish our freedom. Even addictions can diminish our freedom. There can become a point where the will becomes so bound that it has, it has like lost the ability to choose freely. To reject God, forever is a full choice. It's a full knowledge of, and full freedom of not wanting to live God's way. Yes, there's a reality of people can go to hell ignorant, blind, true, that sin blinds us, but somebody would know that I have not wanted God. I have said no to Jesus. I have said no to church. I have said no to confession. I've heard that things are grave. I've rejected that. Well, you know. You may not like it, but you know. To reject God is a full decision. It's not, I might be in grave sin. And if I find out later, after the fact, that what I had been doing for 40 years was grave and I didn't know, I knew it was bad, but I didn't know that it would block me from heaven. Oh my goodness. I didn't know. I hear it in a talk now. My whole life. Don't worry. You didn't know. Get to confession. Be healed by Jesus. But for that specific sin, that one didn't kill you spiritually. If you didn't fully know, but it did deeply wound you. It definitely made it a lot easier to fall into that sin again in the future. It bound you but God saw your ignorance and lack of understanding. But now that you know, you know. And now you can make a full decision and you have to be careful now because it's not just a two-year-old by mistake hitting uh, uh, um, uh, those old ovens with the glass doors that used to be so hot and, and hits it and gets burned. That's one thing they didn't know. But to disobey is when you know and still say, I'm going to do that anyway. And now your freedom and your knowledge are activated completely by, by understanding 
And that's where there's a wickedness. You see, that's where there's the lack of love. That's where there's the disobedience to our Heavenly Father. That's why Jesus at parts in the gospel says, you who are wicked, because there is true wickedness. This is part of life, unfortunately, but God has done something about it. He has died on a cross. He has poured out his love and mercy. He is who he is. He's never changed. And now we saw it in the flesh. And he said at the Last Supper, this is my body. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. He commanded it. And the wise man, the wise woman, would heed the voice of the Lord and listen and respond in freedom of love to the one who has loved them so much, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.